Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Robin. And this is... Home is where the murder is. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Hello. So... Here we are. You guys, today's going to be a good one. It is... Juicy. I had... I'm guessing. I don't know. It's not mine. Well, it's Robin's. Well, I'm just going to tell you right now, I had a couple cocktails, so... This should be Me fun. Too. Yeah, we, we had and we have the dogs with us. It's, so we're not even like and our podcast tent has completely fallen apart. Well, it's open. Yeah. Because the dog we've been away from the home today for a bit. So the dogs we were are cocktails. anxious. So they wanted to be with us. So we have opened up the tent a bit. So the dogs are with us. Yeah. So they are in here with us. Yeah. And I've said that a lot. Yeah, and we don't drink a lot when we're together. So this is not the ideal time to be doing a podcast, but I think I'm fine. I have a brewer bus trip in the morning. Apparently, my husband said we have to be uptown at 7 a.m., so that's not and happening for those of for you me. that don't know what she's talking about, the Milwaukee Brewers, they're a baseball team. Oh. Remember, we have we have listeners that is all true. over the world. So the Milwaukee Brewers are a major league baseball team, and Molly's husband's restaurant is taking a bus trip to Milwaukee which is just a big drunk fest, and it's awesome, and Molly's going to that. I'm going to be bus mom, and I'm going to make make sure that everyone is, like, hydrated. I'm going to hand out bottles of water to people and make sure that people yeah. are being responsible. So. Yeah. So so we had our cocktails tonight so that uh, she doesn't need to have any tomorrow. Exactly. Well, I'll have, like, I know you a will. responsible amount tomorrow because I don't want to feel <laughs> crappy the rest of the week, basically. I'm playing in a golf tournament, so I will not be having a responsible amount. Yeah. I also don't golf, so you can imagine how that's going to go. So, anyway, well, that's all that I have to say. I don't want to spend too much time chit-chatting today because this is a long one. So, unless, do you have any updates for anybody? Not really. I guess the only podcast-related update I have is that we had the highest amount of downloads last week. Which is pretty exciting. So thanks to everybody that's continuously listening and telling your friends and family because we had almost 100, 100 more downloads than we usually do. So yeah. keep and, up the great work. And it might have been because it was the holiday uh, week in America, 4th of July week. Mm-hmm. So maybe people were traveling and really? listening to something, yeah. traveling. So maybe that was why. So either way. Don't know. No, no real reason. Cool. Oh, we got a nice rain this week, too. Oh, I wanted to update about the it. weather. No, almost made it through, Um, but we needed a nice rain. So that was really good for for us. Uh, That was on, let's see. Who cares? Oh, my God. Can we just talk about murder? Wednesday. (laughs) God. Uh, You know what? Some people like to know. I know that that there's some people. It's funny because we do have some people that love to hear about your weather. Yeah. And then there's people that. Well, you know what? I get really, it's been super dry here in Wisconsin. (laughs) Well, in our area of Wisconsin, at least, I've had, like, water almost every day, and it's really annoying. And it, it's a big-time sucker of my life, and it's not something I need to – I don't want to have that time taken away from me, so I need the weather to cooperate. <laughs> don't look at me like that. Are you done? Can we – Never. Okay. We're, we're going to – once this becomes a success, we're going to get Molly her own weather podcast and you guys can listen to all that crap it's gonna be me complaining about the lack of rain yeah and the humidity i don't like it when it's too humid (laughs) anyway so thanks again for all your downloads and uh yeah yeah ready uh, we appreciate it 
Let's, uh, so I, I want to, of course, give a shout out to our sponsor, Aaron Schmitz with Epic Mortgage. Aaron is licensed in Minnesota and Wisconsin, and he's an amazing lender. So if you're looking to buy a home or refinance your home, we encourage you to reach out to him. His information is in the show notes on our social media and on our website, and you will not be disappointed. He's the best. So please do yourself a favor, and even if you don't think you can buy a home or if you don't think you can refinance, reach out to him and find out. Okay. Yep. Thank you, Aaron. So... I'm going to get right into it, because like I said, this is a long one, so y'all buckle up. It's going to... Hold on your butts. Grab them. Get them. Get them. Um, each cheek. Yep. Here we Left, go. Left, right. So this is the story of the Kansas City Butcher. Are you surprised at all? You love a butcher story. I, this is my third butcher story since we started doing our podcast. It's a, I love a good family story. You love a good butcher story. Yep. So... Here we go. So Robert Andrew Berdella Jr. was born on January 31st, 1949 in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, to Robert Berdella, Berdella Sr. and Mary Louise Huffman Berdella. He was the oldest of two sons, and the family was very religious. Always a good start. It kind of sets it up usually. It usually does, yep. They never missed church, and the boys often attended additional religion classes. Robert was described as a loner, but very intelligent. He was often found playing by himself and going out of his way to not talk to other kids. He had a speech impediment and wore very thick glasses due to his nearsighted vision. He was very unathletic and had to take medicine for high blood pressure. From what I read, he was an old man in a kid's body. Ooh. So that's unfortunate. That's never how you wanted to be described <laughs> as a child. No. Oh. oh, that guy over there, he's just like an old man. <laughs> At eight. He can't run around because of his high blood pressure. Oh, yeah, man. He's doomed from That's the start. That's rough. Yep. His younger brother, Daniel, was seven years his junior and the complete opposite of Robert. Daniel was social and very good at sports. Daniel was often praised for his, for his athleticism by their father, which resulted in Robert taking on physical and emotional abuse for being inferior to his little brother. So that sucks. But that's... Sometimes the way it works in a family. Yeah. In his late teens, Robert began to gain some confidence and even had a girlfriend. Well, However, yeah, that's, yeah. That helps a little bit usually. Yeah, well, however, this was just a front as Robert stated that when he hit puberty, he knew he was gay. Oh. Yeah. The secret made him lash out at people, especially women. From what I've read, he was a real dick to people. Mm-hmm. When Robert was 16, his father had a heart attack on Christmas Day. Two days later, at the age of 39, Robert Sr. died. With the overwhelming grief and responsibility that came with his father's death, Robert threw himself into religious classes. However, in instead of finding peace and understanding, this made him become resentful and despise all religion. Mm. At this point, Robert was just angry overall. Yeah. Yeah. Being secretly gay, teenage hormones, losing his father, becoming the man of the house, it was a lot for him. It, would be it wouldn't be long, though, before his mother would remarry, which in Robert's eyes was an act of betrayal towards their father. Oh. One more thing for him to be angry about. Yeah. Even though Robert was finding his teen years to be stressful, he did have ways to calm himself. He enjoyed stamp collecting, painting, coin collecting, and writing to his foreign pen pals. 
He also enjoyed movies, and one movie that stood out to him as he recalled his childhood was The Collector. This movie, have you seen it? No. Neither have I, and this is not up my alley. I thought of The Bone Collector right away, but yeah. I, that was way later. That, but, I mean, when you hit, say The Collector, yeah. that's what I thought yeah. of right away. So this is a movie he saw as a teen about a man who abducted a woman and held her captive until she died. Oh, yeah, different. Well, I mean, not really that different, actually. Yeah. Bone Collector is a serial yeah. killer movie. Yep. But. Robert stated that this movie played a role in his future crimes. In 1967, Robert graduated from Cuyahoga Falls High School and moved to Kansas City to attend the Kansas City Art Institute with hopes to become a college professor. His first year of school, he was a great student. However, his second year would take, would take a hard left into Schittsville. Oh. Yep. That was the city there? No, I made it up. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> Robert had begun hanging out with a group of people that provided him drugs, which he would then sell for a profit. He had become mouthy towards his professors and other students and began drinking like a fish. Did I say drinking funny? I drinking like, like I? a fish. A little bit. Oh, boy. That might be because I had been drinking earlier. Like a fish? I didn't want to go that far. But maybe. Like maybe a guppy. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was doing. He also started torturing animals for reaction. Now, warning, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about an instance. So, if you don't like animal cruelty, maybe, I don't think most people. Do. I don't think anybody it just, does. Yeah, but graphic. If you can't handle it, just skip ahead, maybe about thirty seconds or so, because I'm gonna say it. So, in one instance, he decapitated a duck in front of a group of friends, and then went on to experiment with sedatives on a dog. Ooh, yeah. Robert's, and it sucks because all I can think of is, is the Affleck. Or I think of the Friends duck. Oh, that's even more sad than the Affleck yeah. duck. Oh. Wait a minute. How does the Affleck duck still talk if Gilbert Godfrey is dead? Well. All right. Somebody look up that. Well, you know what? I'll do it later. I don't need you to. Anyway. Robert's new attitude would eventually land him in some serious hot water when, at the age of 19, he tried to sell meth to an undercover cop. He was arrested. Shouldn't do that. I know. <laughs> That's good life advice right there. Don't, don't do that. Don't sell drugs to an undercover cop. Nope. But he posted $3,000 in bail and was released. So that's about $25,000 in today's money. Mm. He was given a five-year suspended sentence, which is essentially supervision. And if he does not break the law within those five years, he's good to go. But he would not be so good to go because one month later, he was arrested for weed and LSD possession. He spent five days in jail, but the charges ended up being dropped due to lack of evidence. How how is there lack of evidence? Like, did he do it or not do it? You know, like, you know what I mean? Back like back in the day, right? When I just feel like you could get away with absolutely. But you know anything. what I mean? Like, how was there lack of? Like, how was he even arrested? In the, you know what I mean? I like, know. what? Like, how? Okay, sure, 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 sure. In 1969, Robert dropped out of school after getting harsh criticism from his professors about 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 how killing and cooking a duck was not art. Shocking. Can you imagine? He's like, I didn't do my assignment, but I did decapitate a duck yesterday. Oh, God, I just realized my trigger warning for animal cruelty but, was but, useless. But you could also, in right, but I'm going to kind of come around in a different sense if he would use it as like in a cooking way, like if he was using it in like a, 
Yeah, that's what it said. He was right. killing and cooking a duck with right, heart. like, yeah. like if he was doing it in like a kitchen like art like form like recipe like you know what I mean but like he's not but he wasn't no right so Robert worked in restaurants and continued to sell drugs to make money right so he was really killing it guys Ooh. no no poor choice of words that wasn't the right way to say no, it I'm sorry everybody oh I just clicked on something Okay, in 1970, Robert moved into 4315 Charlotte Street in Kansas City, Missouri. At this time, he was very openly gay. His neighbors described him as very flamboyant, but nice. They said his home was always unkept, but he opened up to troubled youth, which they thought was kind. Neighbors stated that he was like a foster parent to the troubled youth in the community. He wanted them to learn from his experiences and get away from drugs. However, people say that he would be enraged if someone didn't take his advice. Hmm. He would also often surround himself with male prostitutes, and he says that in the 70s, he never hurt anyone that was staying with him, but he would have sexual relations with them, which was his way of getting payment for opening his home to them. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a way, it's kind of nice that he was able to be open with his sexuality, though. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, because before he was very yeah, it's yeah closed off from it. Himself. That he, yeah. he got to be himself, but sure. But and also, like, he shouldn't be using it as payment to be like mm-hmm. helpful. <laughs> like, my- you can also be helpful and not be like, I need payment from you, right? For being exactly. helping you out. Like, yeah, that's not really like opening your doors to like help out people. No, that's not, at not all. the same thing. Yeah. So, by the mid-70s, Robert had become a senior cook at several Kansas City restaurants and even established a training program for aspiring chefs at a community college. So, this is the thing that bothers me about him. He was artistic, smart, and he could pick up skills and then run with them and actually be a leader. And he could have actually made something of his life. He literally was like a butcher. Like, cook. Okay, yes, but that's but like, not you know, where I was going I know, no, 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 but like... <laughs> Like, he had cooking skills. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, he literally was, like, well, he was a, a chef. Very, yeah, he was a very talented human being. Yeah. So it just sucks. Like, he had to turn into a fucking dick. Yeah. In the late yeah. 70s, he... Sorry, guys. That's podcast pup. He's sitting down now. Okay. In the late 70s, he worked with the South Hyde Pike Park... I'm sorry. South Hyde Park Crime Prevention and Neighborhood Association. So that was his neighborhood's um, crime, you know... Neighborhood Watch, I guess you could call it. He became their chairman in the 1980s and encouraged active patrol throughout the neighborhood. Even though he was very active in his community and a very successful chef, Robert's passion was in collecting and selling antiques. For many years, he would collect items and then resell them. And by collect, I mean steal. He eventually got to got so savvy with stealing and selling that in 1982, he opened a booth at the Westport Flea Market called Bob's Bazaar Bazaar. <laughs> well, could have worked harder at that, I think, yeah. that name. He sold art, jewelry, and antiques. He didn't make a lot of money off of this, so he eventually would open up his home for the renters as well. And then he would collect money from them eventually. After he was done getting sex from them, of course. Robert loved his antique stand and had become friends with his flea market neighbors. Across from his booth was a man by the name of Paul Howell. Paul's son Jerry would often work the booth with him, and over the years they all became close. 
Jerry and Robert became so close that one night in 1984, Jerry confided in Robert about being a male prostitute. Now, Robert doesn't know why this sparked his interest per se, but he became laser focused on Jerry from that point on. On July 5th, 1984, Jerry asked Robert if he could give him a ride to a dance. Robert agreed, but had him hang out at his house first. There, Robert gave him alcohol and drugged him. Mm-hmm. Once Jerry was passed out, Robert injected him with a tranquilizer and bound him to his bed. Jerry would end up restrained for 28 hours, and during this time, Robert tortured, raped, and violated him with foreign objects. Wow. During this time, Robert began a torture log and kept vivid details of what he was doing to Jerry and how Jerry would respond to it. When Jerry would cry and beg him to stop, Robert would drug him again. In his logs, he mentioned that the more upset and more begging that came from the victim, the more mental and physical satisfaction Robert would receive. During the torture, Jerry began to choke either on his own vomit or the gag in his mouth. He eventually asphyxiated and died still bound to Robert's bed. Robert then dragged Jerry's body to the basement and hung him up over a large pot. He made cuts in his body and let him drain of blood overnight. Mm. Yeah, gross. The next day, he dismembered the body with a chainsaw and bony knife. He then wrapped up the sections in newspaper and trash bags. All the pieces then went into more trash bags and were taken out to the trash where it was picked up by the collectors the next day and taken to the local dump. Mm. Yeah. Meanwhile, Paul Howell, Jerry's father, was frantically looking for his son. There's a newspaper article from August 12th, 1984, your birthday. It's my birthday. Well, not 84, but no, two but years before. Two years before your birthday. That details how Paul had been all over Kansas City asking every single person he came across if they had seen his son. He was offering money for information, jumping at every lead, and making as many public appearances as he could. Many people told him that his son just ran away, which was common. Yeah, they did that. They said that a lot, that it was just a runaway. Yep. Yeah. But Paul pointed at his wife and said, look at her. He would never do that to his mother. So, and it's really sad, this article that I found. Like, it talks about how he has, hadn't been sleeping and he'd been going from door to door and that his wife hadn't stopped crying since the day she realized her son was missing. It's just, it was really heartbreaking. So Jerry, a little bit about Jerry. Jerry had dropped out of school in 11th grade and had begun hanging out with the wrong crowd, which again was common in the 70s. Yeah. He and his father would fight from time to time, but I'm sorry, 70s and 80s, late 70s, early 80s. He and his father would fight from time to time, but they would always work it out and he would come home. The furthest he ever ran away was to his best friend's house. Even though Jerry had dropped out of school, he was finding a passion and working at the flea market. And when he wasn't there, you could find him doodling in his sketch pad. He loved to draw cartoons and had a real talent for it. Paul says that Jerry was much softer and kinder than he, and he wished he wouldn't have been so hard on him, but he loved him. He knows his son loved him too. In this article, it states that Paul dropped his tired head and said, I know my son is dead. He begins to cry and looks over at his wife, who is shaking her head and crying. They both know he's gone, but they don't want to believe it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really sad. I know. I didn't like that. They just kind of gave, you know, like knowing that. Yeah. 
they would have heard from him or like yeah yeah and like i'll say this when we're doing research on these crimes that we the newspaper articles that i always read they're very heartbreaking because a lot of them are from before they know what's wrong and what happened so like you hear the pleas and you read all the speculation what's going on or they're looking for someone and it's just it's just so sad yeah so and that one was one of the hardest i think i've read because it was just you could just tell the desperation yeah in, in their da- his dad's voice yeah so the worst part is the entire time this family is grieving and searching for their son across the pavement was robert Burdella just watching them suffer mm. he was questioned about jerry's whereabouts but told everyone that he dropped him off at the dance and never saw him again and at that time no one had any reason to really doubt him right robert would remain quiet with his killing for one year until April 10th, 1985, when 20-year-old Robert Bobby Sheldon showed up on his doorstep. There isn't a lot of information on who Bobby was as a person, but it seemed as though he was down on his luck when he came across Robert. He had once lived in Robert's house in the past, so showing up on his doorstep was no surprise. Robert said he was good about paying his rent and he didn't find him attractive, but there was something that infuriated him that made him decide to hold him captive. Robert said he felt that Bobby was an inconvenience, and even though he didn't have any anger towards him, he felt he could take out his anger towards others on Bobby. Hmm. So on April 12th, 1985, Robert came home to find Bobby drunk on the couch. He gave him some sedatives and moved him into a bedroom on the second floor. It is here that he would hold him captive for three days and torture the young man. Some of the torture included sticking needles underneath his fingertips swabbing drain cleaner in his left eye ouch yep bounding his hands so tightly with piano wire that his nerve endings were damaged and filling his ears with caulk to reduce his hearing ability yeah very random type tort you know what i mean like it's like he just kind of found things in his house yeah like like let's see what this could could do yeah on the third day of captivity a roofer was coming by to work on robert's roof So he made the decision to kill Bobby so he wouldn't get caught. He put a bag over Bobby's head and tightened it with a piece of rope. Later that day, he dissected Bobby's body in the third floor bathroom. Which is weird because when I looked up this property, it's only a two-story. So I don't know if that meant like the attic. Maybe. But then if there's a bathroom up there, then wouldn't it be considered a floor? Unless it was like a makeshift kind of thing. Or it was a typo maybe on the book I read. Yeah. I'm not sure, but... It either could be way, like a makeshift. Either way, kind of in thing. a bathroom, he dissected Bobby's body. Yeah, or maybe could it? Could they have been counting the basement as like maybe? You know what I mean? Like the you know who, who knows? knows? Yeah. He eventually put his skull on display in his house. All of this was documented in his torture log. On June twenty second, nineteen eighty five, Robert found Mark Wallace hiding in his shed due to a thunderstorm. Mark and Robert knew one another as Mark had helped Robert with some yard work a while back. Robert invited him inside and offered to inject him with a sedative to calm him down as he seemed very agitated. He agreed and Robert injected him with, God, I hate this word, chlorpromazine. Good job. Thanks. I bet you that sounds so stupid. Chlorpromazine. Yeah, but you said it slow and you said it nicely. Oh, thanks. Which was a drug used to treat psychosis and schizophrenia. 30 minutes later, Robert carried Mark to the second floor and began his torture. 
He clipped alligator clips to his nipples and would shock him every time Mark would begin to pass out. Robert's form of torture for Mark was to perform experience, experience, experiments on him. He had begun sticking him with hypodermic needles throughout his body. This torture wouldn't last long as Mark died the next day as a combination of the drugs, the gag, and asphyxiation. Hmm. Like the rest, he was dismembered and thrown away, and the torture was documented in his log. Having fun yet? I know this is just, yeah, that's how I felt when I was researching it. (laughs) It's just a lot. It's a lot. In September of 1985, Robert found that he was bored with his forms of torture and wanted to step up his game. On September 26th, Robert received a call from James Ferris, who was an acquaintance of Robert's. He asked him if he could stay with him for a short period of time. Of course, Robert agreed to it, and they met at a local bar to talk details. Right away, Robert knew he would be holding him captive, torturing and killing James. So they go back to Robert's, and James is immediately drugged with sedatives in his food. Once sedated, Robert ties him to his bed and begins 27 hours of constant torture. The torture included repeated administering of 7,700-volt electrical shocks to the testicles and shoulder for up to five minutes at a time. He also performed his own version of acupuncture on the neck and genitals using hypodermic needles. Robert mentioned in his log that on the second day of torture, his victim could only sit up for about 10 to 15 seconds at a time and that he expected him to be dead soon. The log read that he had delayed breathing and then 86, which was slang for stop the project or throw it out, a common term he used while cooking. Hmm. So he didn't last as long as he had hoped either, but. Yeah, and then, yeah, he would end with 86 in his log, and that would mean that it was, that's like, weird. that's when I stopped. Yeah. When, you know, so. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I guess, isn't there something, like, people say, like, let's just 86 this or something? Okay. Yeah, I guess so. I, yeah. Robert's killing streak would go cold for almost a year when he came across a former roommate by the name of Todd Stoops. Todd was 23 years old and a drug addict who was married and him and his wife had once lived with Robert back in 1984. They ran into one another on June 17, 1986, and Robert knew right away he wanted to hold him captive. He invited him over for lunch and offered to pay $13 for sex as well, which is about $35 in our money today. Todd needed the money for drugs, so he agreed to join him at the house. There, Robert drugged him with sedatives in his food and bound him to his bed. Robert was extremely attractive, attracted to Todd and wanted to keep him alive as long as possible so he could have him as a sex slave. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different this time yeah. around. Todd's torture consisted, consisted of having electrical clamps attached to his closed eyes and being shocked to the point of blindness. Ooh. Robert also injected drain cleaner into his larynx to keep him from screaming. Ooh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There is a picture of what Todd looked like during this, and it is incredibly disturbing. And yes, we will share it, but oh, oh, it was gross. Like you can see the, the needle coming out of his neck. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. On June 27th, 1986, Todd asked him for something to drink in a sandwich. When Robert refused, Todd began to cry. Enraged. Enraged by this, Robert shoved his fist up Todd's anus and ruptured his anus wall, I'm sorry, his anal wall, 
causing bleeding and discharge. This would eventually lead to Todd's death on July 1, 1986. A forensic pathologist would later testify that the damage to the anal wall could would have caused septic shock and blood loss so that was which is interesting because he actually like liked him you yeah. know what i mean that like, you would have thought that he would have tried to yeah not appease but like oh it's just so awful to yeah. think about oh that poor guy yeah it would almost be another year before Robert would kill again. This time, in the spring of 1987, Robert was working at a flea market uh, booth when Larry Wayne Pearson stopped in to take a look around. He was 20 years old and kind of just going with the flow, not very motivated to do anything, and his means of making money was robbing people. So, you know, 20 years old in the 80s. He needed a place to stay, and Robert agreed to let him live with him as long as he did chores around the house and attempted to get a job. So it's so weird how he, like, tries to hold some people accountable, and then other people he's just like, I'm going to tie you to my bed and kill you. Yeah. Robert and Larry lived together for weeks with no issues, but eventually Robert found Larry to be annoying. He wasn't getting a job, he was drinking all the time, and at one point he was arrested and Robert had to bail him out of jail. It was then on June 23rd that Robert decided he was going to put him into captivity. That evening, Robert made sure Larry got good and drunk before injecting him with chloropromazine. I don't Mm -hmm. know if I'm saying that right. Mm -hmm. For sure you are. 100%. (laughs) I know. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Once sedated, he moved him to the basement and tied his hands together. So this is different. He took him to the basement this time. So he tied his hands over his head. He used rope to secure him to a brick wall and injected drain cleaner right into his larynx right away. Robert stated that Larry was his most cooperative victim, and on the fifth day of torture and captivity, Robert rewarded his cooperation by agreeing to move him to the second floor. He assured him that he would torture him less for his cooperation. At this point, Larry had been raped often, electrocuted, his hands had been broken in many places, and he had been beaten with a metal rod. Hmm. Even though Larry was doing all he could to not upset Robert with hopes that his torture would eventually stop, by the sixth week, he could take no more. During forced oral sex, Larry violently bit Robert's penis. Ooh. This enraged Robert so much that he took a tree limb and bludgeoned Larry to death with it. Where do you get a tree limb? I don't know. He just... Like, like, did he hobble outside with his or bleeding penis? Or did he have, like, tree limbs in his house? I I could not find anywhere that's explained why he had a tree limb and beat him with a tree limb. I have no idea. Okay. So odd. It's a random But knowing object. how random this guy is with his torture, I wouldn't be surprised if at one point he had gone out yeah, and just grabbed it. Just and that. been like, hey, yeah. maybe I'll use this somewhere. Yeah. So... Um, this enraged Robert so much that he took a tree limb and bludgeoned Larry. To ensure that he was dead, he then put a bag over his head and suffocated him as well. He then drove himself to the hospital to receive medical treatment on his penis. Larry's body was later dismembered in the basement and his head was stored in a plastic bag inside the freezer before being buried in the backyard with the rest of his victims. Did he bury all of his victims' All heads? of them except for... One, the one that got thrown in the trash. The rest okay. were in the in the house, either in the house or in the backyard, but mostly in the backyard. So a couple of years would pass and Robert refrained from killing. So that's pretty good. However, around 1 a.m. on March 29th, 1988, 
Robert found the urge to hold someone captive again and set out to find a male prostitute he could bring home. He came across 22-year-old Christopher Bryson. He lured Christopher back to his house, and once he was there, Robert hit him over the head with a metal bar. So he's like, screw drugging this guy. I'm just going to go right for the hardcore stuff. So you can see how he starts to get more aggressive. Yeah, for sure. Robert tied him to his bed and began torturing him in the ways he had done with his other victims. The rape, sodomizing, and injecting drain cleaner into his throats, into the, his throat. Robert did, however, try some new things with Christopher, like rubbing ammonia in his eyes and take, talking about his previous victims and the mistakes they had made to land them dead. There was a lot of psychological torture going, on, going into play with this victim, but over the few days that Christopher was captive, Robert seemed to have begun to trust him. This trust earned Christopher the right to have his arms tied in front of him rather than above his head after his sexual torture was over. Christopher was smart, and he knew his only chance at survival was being compliant and trustworthy, but deep down, he was doing all he could to plan an escape. Now, some sources say what I'm about to talk about happened on the fourth day of capture, and others say the fifth day, but regardless, after days of torture, Christopher found a way to escape, and he went for it. Robert had finished his torture and left the house for work. What he didn't realize was that he had left a box of matches within Christopher's reach. Christopher used those matches to burn through his restraints. Without hesitation, he broke free and jumped straight out the second floor window, breaking a bone in his foot in the process. Right? Can you just imagine? He's like, I'm not going to wait to see if you're downstairs. Like, he didn't know if he was actually gone or anything, right? He's just like, fuck it, I'm jumping out the window. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, wearing nothing but a dog collar, the naked man ran towards a city worker who was checking meters and started yelling at him to call the police. The worker escorted Christopher to a neighbor's porch where they called 911. Within minutes, police officers were listening to the 22-year-old man tell the horrible tale of how Robert Bordella held him captive and tortured him day and night. Officers noticed the condition the young man was in and got him to a hospital immediately, as well as made arrangements to make sure someone had an eye on Robert's house at all times. It wouldn't take long after a formal interview with Christopher that Robert would be arrested on sexual assault charges. When he was asked if officers could search his home, he declined. That didn't matter as they obtained a search warrant and they were absolutely horrified by what they found. So upstairs where Christopher said he was being held, They found all the items for a room of torture. Syringes, drain cleaner, electrical clamps, ropes, lead pipes, an electrical transformer plugged in with wires leading to the bed, prescription drugs, and more. They also noted that the bed posts were in such rough shape that it looked like numerous attempts were made to break free from them. Upon a further search of the house, they found a human skull in a closet and another human head decomposing in the backyard. They found a chainsaw to be covered in blood, flesh, and pubic hair, and many other knives and utensils to be covered in blood in his basement. They found envelopes of teeth, bones, I know, I don't like that part either. Mm. (laughs) And when the property was sprayed down with luminol, it lit up up like a damn neon sign shop. It's just like bright. Can you imagine? Everything is lit. Officers came across over 300 Polaroids of men, some alive, some dead. Most of the images were of the men being tortured or after they had been tortured. Investigators opened a drawer and found newspaper clippings of missing men and the smoking gun, the detailed logs of how he tortured and killed each one of his victims. 
Now, the investigation of Robert's crimes turned into a full-on task force. They had to search that house up and down, and the amount of evidence was overwhelming, as you can imagine. Yeah. The, to properly identify the men in the photos, they turned to missing re- person reports and asked friends and family to help identify the victims. Some were alive and gave their accounts of why and how they ended up in these photos. Others were of the deceased victims, and friends and family had to sadly identify their loved ones by looking at their tortured bodies via Polaroids. That would be so I know. Like, yeah. Yeah. Might be the worst. Also in many of these pictures was who they thought to be Robert himself. Yeah. To be sure, investigators made him get naked and pose in the same positions as these photos. I don't think that would fly in today's... That would be tough to do. Yeah, right? They compared them and were able to confirm that Robert was naked in these photos with some of the victims. Investigators also used dental records to identify the victims of the skulls that were found. When it came time to question Robert about all the findings, he refused to cooperate. He was silent, and when he was court-ordered to give a handwriting sample to confirm the log, he refused. He was sentenced to six months in jail for contempt of court. You would think that they could just find a different handwriting sample in the house. You know what I mean? Like, he had to have other handwriting samples from, like, writing a different kind of note or a letter or anything. But, yeah. Yeah. On July 22, 1988, Robert was indicted for the murder of Larry Wayne Pearson, and one month later, he entered a guilty plea. The judge required him to admit to the murder under oath at which Robert stated, I put a plastic bag over his head and tied it with a rope and allowed him to suffocate. When asked if he performed this act deliberately, Robert simply stated, yes. For this crime, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Robert received another life sentence a month later for the forcible sodomy against Christopher Bryson. On September 13, 1988, Robert pled not guilty for the remaining five murder charges. However, which was interesting to me when I read that. I'm like, and like how though? I mean, like, how do you, you think you're getting away with that? All of these photos, yep. the log, yeah, like, I know. everything else in the house, like yeah. how? So his attorney suggested that he enter a guilty plea to avoid the death penalty. Yeah. In this plea agreement, he would have to give full details of his crimes how and why he picked his victims and where their bodies were in order to not receive the death penalty. He's like, I don't know where the bodies are. Yeah, right. The dump. Yeah, right. Robert received five additional life sentences for those crimes. So the one nice thing is they didn't have to go to trial. So the families weren't put through this crap yeah. and everything. So that would have been a hard trial. Yeah, that's the only thing that could good because that could have came out of this twat waffle. Yeah. While incarcerated, Robert gave an interview with a local news station where he tried to come off as a sensitive man who was demonized by the media. He claims (laughs) that he had made his mistakes, but he deserves to be treated better as a human being. No, you don't. He said the prison conditions were not to his liking and he had written many complaints. Good. Can you believe this motherfucker? Complaining. I hope they're the worst. Like, complaining about prison conditions and how he's being treated after he tortured and murdered people. Yeah. I hope that oh. I hope that you're sleeping on razor blades. Yeah. Ow. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I hope that when you turn over that you're getting paper cuts. Well, he's not going to be able to hear you because on October 18th, 1992, Robert told prison officials he was having chest pains. Good. <laughs> 
Upon evaluation, mm-hmm. it was determined that his heart was indeed unstable. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and he was taken to a local hospital. Fortunately for society, Robert Berdella was pronounced dead at the hospital of a heart attack that same day. That is some karma for you. No shit. He was 43 years old. Which I think I said his dad was like 39 when he died, too. Yeah. So. Was it, what did his dad die from? I believe a heart attack. Yeah. Well, so, so it was probably some kind of, yeah, heart, yeah. obviously, some heart disease in his family. So my favorite part of this asshole's death was that when the judge was informed of Robert's death, his response was, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. <laughs> <laughs> like the judge. Yeah, right. Though, ugh. I can just imagine what this judge was thinking. Like, it's like, well, that made that a lot easier. Yep. But I mean, at the same time, it's like it's this guy just deserved to rot, though. I too. know, like that's it's such. It's that like he, he, he young, like but... he got such an easy out yeah. for what he did. I know, I agree. You know, like I, that's the hard part. It's like <sighs> these I know. people. It's like they deserve just to sit and rot well, and think about and what he, they did for the rest of their lives yeah. too. Like, like you, you hope that he's gonna get his ass kicked in jail yeah. and shit too but he actually ended up getting removed from one prison and moved to another one for his safety mm-hmm. and i'm like just leave him there let him let him i mean they let Dahmer get killed just let <laughs> let him just yeah get his ass kicked it's fine yeah. he deserves to get a little ass kicked absolutely yeah so robert's items were eventually sold off to pay off his legal debts and his house was eventually sold to a wealthy businessman more information on the house was found by our real for, real t- referral partner, Rachel Countryman with EXP Realty in Missouri. She tells us that the property was a three-bedroom, two-bath, two-story house that was sold in 1988, so not long after the murders came to light, Yeah. to Dell Dunmire for an undisclosed amount. In 1993, the home was demolished, and to this day, nothing has been built on the lot. Interesting. Which, I mean, I'm not... I mean, I'm surprised nothing's been built there, but I'm not surprised that they ended up tearing it down. Right. Like, how do you come back from that? You don't, no one wants to live yeah. in a house like that. Like, oh, hell no. Like, like a mur- one murder happens. Like, it's yeah. like, okay, but like this kind of thing happens in a house. Like, yeah. that's a whole different story. Yes. So I want to thank Rachel for finding this information for us and for joining the Home is Where the Murder is team. A little bit about her. Rachel was born and raised in southwestern Missouri. Southwest Missouri? probably southwest Missouri, and has been doing real estate for over three years and uh, has done some fixes and flips. She calls them fix and flips. Oh, I like that. Isn't that cute? Yeah, that's cute. She and her fiancé own some long and short-term rentals and love to travel, and they love being able to do their business in all 50 states plus 21 other countries with their EXP database. So that is awesome. Yeah. Great connections there. From commercial to residential, they do it all. Her motto is selling homes by the yard. No project too big or too small. We do them all. I like that. I love this woman. Yeah. If you are looking for an outstanding Missouri agent, please reach out to Rachel directly, and her information will be in our show notes, on our website, and on our social media. Otherwise, you can always reach out to Molly or I, and we can get you in touch with her as well. That is the story of the Kansas City Butcher and our and again a thank you to Rachel Countryman with EXP for providing the home information. It's so awful that I have to be like, oh, and also this realtor is really great after just talking about a man that was butchering people. But. Right. So did he ever say like why he did this? Like, did he ever give any reasons? It was satis- It was uh, mental and physical satisfaction. It just, but like, so that's it. In his plea deal, he was supposed to tell them how he picked his victims. Yeah. But everything I read just seemed like he 
kind of did it at random. Like, yeah. he just knew who he wanted to kill, which is why some people could live with him for a while and not be harmed. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he's like, ah, fuck it, I'm going to kill him. Can you imagine, like, being someone that, like, lived with him and, like, didn't get killed and then you so hear about this? So that's the cool this? part. And I'm glad cool. You, I'm gl- well, no, well, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. after they found all these Polaroids and they went public and they said, does anyone know who these people are? Does any, are you these people? Like, are you alive? Like, can you tell us something? And people came forward and they were like, yeah, I lived with this guy. And yes, I had to have sex with him in order to, to live there. And. But I never thought that he... But I'm alive. Right. Like they said, they a lot of them were like, yeah, he was super weird and shit, but I didn't see that coming. But then there was a group of other side of people that were like, I wouldn't go anywhere near him because I thought he was the reason those people were missing. Yeah. So there were some people that like kind of had their suspicions. And then there's other people who were like completely caught off guard. Yeah. So... I mean, and it just makes you wonder what's going on behind closed doors with some people because his neighbors well, like, all he thought... seemed, like, very, like... Well, his neighbors all thought he was this great guy helping the well, community. Well, right. It, 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 he seemed very, like, okay sometimes and not okay sometimes. So very, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, back and forth. Yeah. So I don't... Yeah. He definitely... They did say that he had some sort of schizophrenia, which is why he did have that, that mm-hmm. drug or whatever. But, I mean, it's just... The whole thing is just nuts. Yeah. And there isn't a whole lot, like, there's, like, books and podcasts on him and everything, too. But there's not a whole lot of information. It did happen a long time ago. He's not really, to me, one of the most well-known serial killers out right, there. Right, right. But, you know, and it happened a long time ago when back in the day, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, where this kind of shit was happening. Right. There was a so, lot of, I mean, unfortunately. That there was the were, time to get murdered. <laughs> a lot of people got murdered back then. Yeah. Like, that was, if you were looking to get murdered. That was the way to go. But. Well, I mean, and not that it's not happening now, but I feel like even back then, like, again, like, a lot of it had to do with, like, mental health stuff. Like, 100%. it was, like, again, like you said, like, he had some drugs that helped him, but, like, he probably wasn't very properly diagnosed no, with, like, not. whatever was going yeah. on with him. They're like, they were probably like, here's yeah. some drugs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, threw something at him. It yeah. probably didn't help him at whatever. Yeah. With whatever he had going on with whatever it was yeah. either. Yeah, well, and it sounded like he was messed up from day one. Yeah. Like he was just a weird kid, too. Right. So. He was an old man yeah. in a child's body. Yeah. He was a Benjamin Button. In a bad way. A in bad the wor- Like a horror Button. movie. Benjamin yeah. Button. Like Ooh. if, yeah. Can you imagine if that would have been made? Like, it's like a. Well, maybe it will now. Yeah. Like, they, like, turn it into, like, he's a killer. Benjamin They're, Button. Wow, you just really, you know, you just said it out there, too. So now someone's going to make money off of your great idea. Trademarked. She said it. Can't do it. (laughs) But yeah, no, that was, that's, that's that, that's him. That's the Kansas City Butcher. Yeah. So, I don't know. It was gross. Yeah. I, that one took me a long time. I've been researching that one since March. Like, he's one of the first ones I started. Yeah. But there's a lot of, well, there's a lot of conflicting information, too. Well, that happens a lot with ones that are older, I feel like. So, and it was, well, and a lot of it was really gross. Like, I'd be listening to other podcasts on him or watching a show, and I would have to stop because I'm like, this is fucking sick. It's a gross one. And the one. photos? It, wait till I show the photos. We'll have to I put up, like, a, like a, um, like a buffer one. Like a buffer, like a I don't a, like, even know caution. if I can. You know what? Maybe I shouldn't share them. You know what? Maybe you guys should just go search them yourself. Well, I think that, like, we could share, like, something, but maybe not, like, the... They're gross. The graphic stuff. I think that's something that people can search like, for on their own. Yeah, or I could share the link of where I found it. Yeah, you it's could do that. Maybe so gross. 
Yeah. I'm warning you now. It was not, I was mad when I came across that. Yeah. That might be something that we so. just share the link of. Like, you can click on this if you'd like. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. See how we talked that one through. Good. Yep. Well, that's all I've got. I yep. hope you guys enjoyed that one. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the routine, guys. Yep. Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram. Home is where the murder is. Mm-hmm. Our website is up and running. Home is where the murder is. Dot com. Email us. Home is where the is at gmail.com. Anything. Yeah. If you have any cases you want us to do, if you have realtors you want to refer us to. Otherwise, keep up the great work of talking about our podcast because it is working and we are getting awesome feedback. And Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Very much. Keep sharing. Yeah. Having we, your friends listen. Yeah. And we'd love to hear from you. If you're enjoying the podcast, please send us a message. Yeah. If you're not, I don't ever want to hear from you. Yep. Go away. Jill is still going strong. Who's Jill? Jill. Who's Jill? Jill? Oh, Jill Halbert and Sue. That's still our biggest yeah. podcast yet. Yeah. Yeah. So great work on Jill's, that one. Jill's still people, going. People really, well, maybe the Kansas City Butcher will. Maybe Robert. Berdella will be everyone's favorite. Maybe. After this. Jill seems safer. Yeah. I don't, I'm going to go with no on that one. Yeah. But. All right, everyone. We'll have a good week. And yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.